We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portions will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Morning, it's good to see you today. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy uh, new year, and uh, man, a joy to gather with you today. Joy, thanks for reading for us. Sam, thanks for leading us and for dressing like me today. I appreciate that. Colored pants, striped flannel, you know it's a good day when you show up dressed like Pastor Sam. Um, it's great to see you guys today. Good to have you here. Hey, um, uh, today's a family Sunday for us, which means that uh, our kids are in here with us throughout the entire service. Uh, we do this just a couple times a year, so thanks for uh, putting up um, with and, uh, and, and embracing and showing grace and kindness to uh, perhaps uh, crying and things like that that uh, might be a little more than, than normal. And, uh, and so thanks for that. And then also, just want you to know, next week uh, is, is a new year, but it's also next Sunday is our fifth birthday as a church. And so we will be uh, celebrating that with a, a special message geared towards um, where we have been, how God has been faithful to us, and where we see ourselves going as a church. Um, and then the week following, we'll get back into our 2 Corinthians series. I believe we have four or five weeks left there before we begin our journey through the prophets um, and for the rest of the spring. And so plan on that next week, um, and, uh, and we're looking forward to doing that with you. If you're a guest, we'd love to meet you after the service, so feel free to stop by the Connect table in the lobby. I'll be out there by the table in the front door. We'd love to meet you, um, hear why, how you came to join us today, answer any questions that you have as well. And so thanks for being here today. We pray that you would leave here loving Jesus more than you came in here um, with. And so um, thanks for that. Hey, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump into this beautiful text. <clears throat> Jesus, we come to your word today with the words of the song that we sang fresh on our mind, that we toil with the song of the redeemed. Father, that there is a wrestling, a fighting, a grappling with, a, a struggle to hold on to and to sing the song of the redeemed, this song of hope, this song of promise, this song of redemption, this song of acceptance, this song of forgiveness. 
our sinful, broken, damaged, traumatized hearts have such a struggle holding on to that song with hope and faith and joy day in and day out. It truly is a toil. So we pray that today your word for us as we look at Revelation 21 and the things that will be, that will come, the promises that you give to those who are yours, I pray that it would be fuel to the fire of this song, that it would strengthen our hearts within us to face a new year and new challenges and new losses and new victories and new hopes and new pains new sins, the song of the redeemed, looking to you, to your blood, and to your salvation that you have offered us as our hope. So do that in our hearts as we take a quick, brief look at this text today. Encourage us, strengthen us through it. And may you save some in this room who have never placed their faith in you. Spirit, preach a better sermon than we have prepared today. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. It's a new year for us. Uh, new things are upon us. And some of us in here are like, um, have had a great year. Or you've just had an excellent 2019 and you're sprinting towards 2020, um, excited for, for new things that will come. It's kind of an exciting year after an exciting year. Others of you have had a devastating year. Right? That's not just, hey, I figure some in this room have in a room this size. It's I know some of your stories. You've had a devastating year filled with pain and heartache and loss. And you're not sprinting to 2020, but you're crawling there, just, just begging, hoping, desperate for a little bit of newness, for, for a start over. Most of us in this room probably have had a little bit of both experiences this year. There's a little bit of sprinting and there's a little bit of crawling to a new year. I know my year has been this way. Recently, I was asked to share with a group of, of pastors in our city um, about, pre, about pastoring through disappointment. When you are living in disappointment, how do you continue pastoring faithfully? And, and one of the things I told them is, is I, as I thought through my 2019, I wanted to use the phrase a roller coaster year, but that just felt too neat and tidy. Roller coasters are too well defined with ups and downs. My year was more like the uh, spinning teacup ride where it's constantly spinning one way while also twirling another way, and at some points it's accelerating and it's almost constantly nauseating. That was 2019. Just almost wanting to throw up while at the same time going, yeah! One of those years. It was a year filled with both joys and losses. A year of great victories, of life-giving self-realizations through counseling, of great growth as a father and a husband and a leader, a year of deepening of relationships and growing in my trust and love of our triune God in ways that I've never trusted him before, a year of becoming the most holistically healthy person I have ever been in my life. And at the same time, in the midst of all this, it was a year of great loss, of deep pain, frustrations, struggles. It was a year of being told that I shouldn't pastor by someone who I had hurt. A year of being told, or a year of being falsely blamed for giving someone dangerous and uncaring counsel. A year of being accused of conspiracy against someone because I didn't like them, quote. This is a year of parenting failures. A year of mishaps as a husband. A year of deep, painful fights with anxiety. 
a teacup kind of year for me. And as I've been thinking about moving into a new year, what I realize is that so many of us at this time of year look to a new year as the hope of new beginnings. Okay, we get to put something behind us and look to something else as if uh, a calendar date, as if the clock rolling past 1159 and hitting midnight on a specific day of the year just automatically resets everything for us. This is the hope that we need. And if we were to be honest, we do this in all of our life. Right? We, we do this in all of our life. You, you, you're, you're in school, you're a child, and you just can't wait till you get to be 16 because then you're going to have freedom. You're going to learn how to drive, you're going to get wheels, and you're going to get freedom, and now everything's going to be better. And then you get your license, you get your car, and you realize that insurance is expensive and maintenance is necessary, and mom and dad have an endless amount of errands you have to run. <laughs> freedom has eluded you. And at that point, though, you just have to get out of of high school into college because high school is the problem. They tell you what to take in high school, and and you have certain schedules you have to do, and you have to live under your parents' house, and you have to eat what you're told to eat and be home when they say to be home. So college is the answer. I get to stay out as late as I want, eat what I want, take what I want. Then you get to college, and it's fun for a semester. Ramen and mac cheese can only last for a semester, though. And you realize there's something more. I need something more but I have no money to buy something more. So you long to get out of college to get a job so that you can eat something better than mac cheese. Then you get a job and you realize the stress of college was child's play compared to your career. The stress and the the worry and the work of school deadlines was nothing compared to deadlines that your career holds to. And so you look for relationships to make you new. I just have to find a spouse to give me newness and purpose. And then you find that person and it makes everything wonderful. And then you realize that this is actually more work than my job is. For all the blessings and joys that a relationship with is, all those blessings and joys are bought by hard work. Relationships aren't naturally easy. So you know what will make things better? What will bring more joy into this stressful home life full of all this work and toil that we have is kids. That will make it better. And so I just have to have children as we long for children to bring newness and life to us. But for those of you who are waiting for children, let me make sure that you don't hear me say this lightly because my wife and I had that seven-year journey without the Lord giving us children. And we're now on another five-year journey of that. I understand the weight of the longing. And trust me, children bring an immense amount of joy. But they don't solve your problems. They're not the newness that you're looking for. They bring heartache. They reveal your sin unlike it's ever been revealed. There's constant worry and struggles and learning as a parent. And so, man, we just can't wait till our children get out of the house. Then, then my girl and I, we can go away and we can just like do vacations and we can, we can get, get away and have some private time. We can go on a date night any night of the week. But then you have the longing of an empty nest of children that have gone on of memories that are far in the past and you long for retirement that'll make everything better when you can sit on your rocking chair on your front porch all day every day but then you fight you fight the journey of meaninglessness of not having a point to each day like my neighbor you mow your grass three times a week because there's nothing else to go do All of these longings are good things. There's a goodness underneath a longing for a newness for something else. 
The problem for most of us is that we're constantly looking towards the next thing that we can grasp in this life to fill the longing for newness, rather than looking to what Revelation 21 is outlining for us. What we're truly longing, longing for, church, is consummation. It's the consummation of all things. Consummation is the finalization or the bringing to completion of things. What our hearts are longing for, church, is not what a new calendar year can give us. A new calendar year simply brings to completion a calendar year, not all things. And so what we long for within our hearts is the consummation or the completion, the setting to fullness of all things. And that is what we see here in Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, the setting is that the, the old earth and the old heavens have passed away, right? So, so as we know it, the earth, as we know it has passed away, what we believe from scripture is that it's not simply a remaking or simply a renewing of the old things. It's not just God, God kind of came along and tidied it up like he polished it a little bit and made it look a little bit better and feel a little bit better. Nor is it a complete destruction of old things where the entire earth is just obliterated and completely um, devastated and there's nothing left. But he literally takes and he passes away the old and he makes new out of it. The new heavens and the new earth have come in Revelation 21. And in this new heavens and new earth, those who reside within it are the bride of Christ, the church. Each of us in this room who have placed our faith in Jesus, we reside in this new heaven and new earth. That's the context that we see. We don't have time to unpack this fully. We don't have time to unpack this passage fully, <clears throat> but I want us to see today three observations about the consummation that we are looking towards. Three observations to give us hope in what lies ahead of us so that this year we may toil with the song of the redeemed well as we look forward to what is to come. Observation number one, God will dwell with man and he will wipe our tears. God will dwell with man and he God will wipe our tears. Let's read verses one through four of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So the image we get, the old earth has passed away, the old heavens have passed away, the new has come, and Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. Now what it appears contextually here is that the new Jerusalem Revelation 21 is referring to is the church. I'm not saying there's not literal cities or even a literal central city within the new creation, but what we see here is the new Jerusalem coming down appears to be the church, the, the bride of Christ, the people who are been prepared as a bride for her husband, Christ. And in this, it says that God will now, he, God now um, abides or he, he lives with, he dwells with his people. And verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Today, in this moment, in this place, you and I get to experience God. Or we, we get to experience God throughout life. We experience God through creation. 
We experience God through his word. We experience God through prayer. We experience God through his bride, the church. We experience God through his Holy Spirit within us. And yet, at the same time, we experience all of these through a veil. Right? We experience all of these through, the, through a veil. There is a veil. There is this fog of, of our fear and our doubt and our shame and our sin. There are these veils, this fog that, one, that encompasses us, that keeps us from seeing and experiencing God clearly face to face. And yet, there will be a day when that veil will fade away. That fog will leave. There'll be a day when we get to see him without the wall of shame and sin and fear. When we will know, be, when we, will know we are fully loved and accepted because the one who has called us, the one who has called us our own, the one who has forgiven us, he will literally, physically, in person, wipe away our tears. Can you, can you picture that for a moment? For those of you who wake and sleep in fear, who wake and sleep in doubt, who wake and sleep in worry and depression and guilt and in shame, can you picture the beauty of the one who knows you the deepest and the fullest, looking you into the eyes and wiping away your tears? There's so much hope in that. There's so much hope to be fully known and to have all the sorrow from what we know ourselves in to be wiped away. So we look to this God who says he will dwell with us, his church. He will wipe away our tears. Our second observation is this. No, there are no more tears because former things will pass away. What a beautiful sentence. No more tears because former things will pass away. Look at verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What does this mean? What on earth does it mean that the former things have passed away? We could begin with this, whatever it means, it's really good. Because whatever it means, what it brings forth, what it produces is no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. In order to explain it, let me read to you Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. Isaiah 65, 17 through 25, a prophecy hundreds of years before about this same event, the new heaven and the new earth, the consummation of all things. In Isaiah 65, it says this, <clears throat> for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered, right? The former things shall pass away. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard, no more shall be heard in the sound, no, no more shall there be heard the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. 
No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. Did you hear that? I mean, take a moment, pick out a few statements from Isaiah's prophecy of what this new heaven and new earth would look like. His prophecy of what former things passing away will look like. He says that former things shall not be remembered. In Revelation 2.14, it's in reference to things which bring pain, mourning, and tears, right? That these things will not be remembered. In other words, what brings you pain today will not be remembered. It will pass away. Your abuse, your neglect, your grief, your hunger, your shame, your guilt, the memory of them in some capacity will no longer cause you pain. Can we let that sink in for a moment? For those of you who have faced trauma, who have had great loss and heartache, those of you who have deep depression and sadness and hurt, those of you who have chronic illness and sickness, even the memory of them will pass away and they will not cause you pain any longer. There is freedom coming for you. The sin that holds you captive, that you seem to not be able to beat, though you confess it over and over, will pass away. There will be victory over all of these things which cause you pain. He also says the new Jerusalem is created to be a joy for us so that we will be glad. That God actually creates the new heavens and the new earth, new Jerusalem, for the purpose of being a joy and bringing gladness. So the creation which he creates and places you, the church, in, he creates for your joy and for your gladness. He's not creating a boring place for you. He's not creating a place where you just mindlessly make it through. Day after day for all of eternity. Have you ever just stopped and thought about eternity or it like hurts your head? Or you try to think of a place where there is no end. And it's painful, perhaps, because we think of it today full of our hurts and our pains. And he goes, this is an eternity of joy and gladness. You wake in joy and you go to bed in joy. You eat in gladness and you play in gladness. You work in gladness. As we've already seen, it's a place of joy and gladness because God dwells there with us. And as we've already seen, it is a place of joy and gladness because former things that cause us pain have passed away. But it is also, church, a place of joy and gladness because the bride of Christ resides there. It is a place of joy and gladness because the bride of Christ resides there. It says there in Isaiah, her people to be a gladness. Jerusalem's people, the church, 
Those who have placed their faith in Christ are part of the gladness that we receive for eternity. What does this mean? In other words, if you look around you right now, and you look to those in this room who have placed their faith in Jesus, the brothers and sisters who sit around you are part of God's eternal joy and gladness for you. Right, what we are doing right now when we gather together as a church is not just about a religious activity on Sunday mornings. We are actually gathering with the very tool by which God will bring us eternal joy and gladness. You see, but, but that person across the room, they, they've hurt me or I don't even like them. Like their personality is strange and, and they're, they're, they're resentful and, and it's been so much pain, rejection. But in the new heaven and new earth, there will be more, no more sin. Former things will have passed away. There will be no more hurt, no more bitterness, no more sorrow, no more jealousy. And so the person you sit by right now, your relationship with them for eternity will be one of pure joy and gladness. They are a part of God's gladness for you. Fourthly, it's a place of joy and gladness because God will rejoice and be glad in his people. Because God will rejoice and be glad in his people. He says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Parents, have you ever noticed the joy that comes into your home when you are in that, that moment, that season, that, that place where you're simply joying in your children? That, that place where for, for the moment stress is removed, for the moment worry is removed, for the moment, your, your insecurities as a parent are removed. And you're just able to sit and fully find joy in your children in that moment. Have you noticed the joy that that brings within your home? The way that your children soak that up? The way that it brings gladness? An eternity of God the Father being glad in you. Looking at you and joying in you. What will that do to your heart as his child to see his face and know that? We can tell you today he's happy with you. Because of Christ, there is no sadness between you and God the Father. He doesn't look at you and roll his eyes. He doesn't scoff at you. He's not frustrated with you. Because of Christ, he's fully pleased and joying in you today. Yet that's hard to accept, isn't it? But one day, you will be before God the Father, removed from past things, the memories of earthly fathers who have scoffed at you, of earthly fathers who have been disappointed in you. Those things will have passed away and you will stand before a perfect heavenly father and look him in the eyes as he fully joys in you. What warmth that will bring to your heart as his child. What gladness that will bring. In Isaiah, we see that there will be no more weeping or distress. Right? No more weeping or distress. Your depression, your anxiety, your mental illness, your worry, your fear, gone. These are distresses, gone. There will be no more of these. It says no infant will live but a few days, nor an old man who does not fill out his days. There will be no more death. There will be no abortion. There'll be no miscarriage. There'll be no tragic losses. There'll be no sicknesses, no cancer that take one too young. 
There'll be no more death there. There'll be no more stealing, no more strong, no, no strong taking from the weak, no more labor without gain, no more homelessness on the streets without hope and safety and shelter. It says you will work and you will get to take what you have worked for. You will build and you will get to live there. No one will take it from you. There'll be justice. All the injustice that we fight against today will be wiped clean and made new. And even the animals will live at peace with each other as the lions will eat grass and wolves will not eat lambs and snakes will eat dirt. It'll be a place of peace, of gladness, of joy. Our third observation from Revelation 21. So first, God will reside with us and he will wipe our tears. Secondly, there will be no more tears because former things will pass away. And thirdly, he will speak the final word of acceptance for the believer and of rejection for the unbeliever. He will speak the final word of acceptance for the believer and of rejection for the unbeliever. Look at verses five through eight. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. I also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He begins by saying, listen, what I'm saying is trustworthy and true. You can trust what I'm saying. It is the truth and it is done. This is final. There's no take backs. I'm not changing my mind. There's no other way. This is the final truth. Listen to it closely. And then he says this. If you come to him thirsty, you will receive life. If you come to him thirsty, you will receive life. Thirsty for life, thirsty for hope, thirsty for healing, thirsty for forgiveness, thirsty for God. You will receive hope. See, here's the thing. All of us in this room are thirsty. That's why we long for a new year. It's why we long for the day to end and a new day to come. It's why we long for new beginnings and new chances and new opportunities. It's why we long for painful seasons to go away. We're thirsty for something more, something to fill us. It's why we always long to buy something new, to get something new, to, to appear new. The question is not, are you thirsty? But where do you go with your thirst? He goes, if you come to me with your thirst, I will give you, I will meet your thirst from the spring of life, the eternal spring of life, though you cannot pay and without expectation of you pay. What I have to offer is more valuable than what you could ever purchase. Good news. You don't have to purchase it. It's yours. Just come to me thirsty. As Pastor Sam says, often come with the empty hands of faith. Come with the dry mouth of thirst. With nothing on your tongue to quench it but Christ. And then he says, but for those who do not come to me with their thirst... 
for those who choose to meet their thirst with faithlessness, with murdering, with hate, with immorality, with idolatry, with lies. Those who attempt to meet their thirst with anything other than Jesus Christ will not reside in gladness and joy of the new creation. Rather, their heritage, what they will receive, is death, a second death, one of suffer and suffering and pain and rejection and isolation and hopelessness and darkness eternal. It's completely the opposite reception. There's nothing in between. It's not you get Christ and all the gladness and joy, or you get to be semi-happy. Days of happiness and days of sadness. For all the pain and all the sadness and all the loneliness and all the isolation and all the brokenness that you feel today or on your worst day in this life cannot compare for an instant to an eternity of ultimate loneliness and isolation and suffering apart from God's grace. So as we look to a new year, Revelation 21 begs us, both believer and unbeliever, to come thirsty. It implores us to come to him with our mouths dry, looking for living water. To the unbeliever, it would beg you to come trust in Jesus, to look to him with faith. He came. He was born, as we talked about last week. He grew up in perfection, perfectly obedient to God the Father, dying a death, though he was innocent, dying a criminal's death so that he might pay for your sin for your rebellion, for your treason towards God. And he rose again, defeating death, so that you might have life if you will simply come thirsty. See, Josh, is that for me? Is it offered to me? Is it, is it mine to come? He says, all who come will receive. All who will come and drink will receive. So come to him today. Drink from the well that is eternal and faith in Jesus and look not to 2020 for your hope, but to the new creation, to the new heavens and the new earth for an eternity of joy and gladness at the final consummation. And Christian, I pray that 2020 is a great year for you. I pray that it brings opportunity and possibility and newness. I pray that it brings defeat of sin and overcoming of depression and, and hope from, from trauma and from pain. Our true hope, our eternal hope, the answer to our deepest cravings is not in the calendar year, but it's in Christ and his making all things new, including you. And so walk into 2020, run into 2020, crawl into it if you must, in faith in Christ that one day he will make all things new. May it bring about faithfulness in whatever 2020 brings our way. C.S. Lewis wrote in letters to an American lady, what is there to be afraid of? Your sins are confessed. Has the world been so kind to you that you should leave with regret? There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. Our Lord says to you, peace, child, peace. Relax, let go. I will catch you. May we look to the new creation. Whether it comes to us after death or whether it comes to us through the second coming of Christ, may we look to new creation with hope, leaving this world behind with its joys and its pains 
for what comes ahead is full of joy and gladness. May it be. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let me pray for you. Jesus, you are very kind and good to us. In all of our sorrows and in all of our pains, you are good to us. For you have given us Christ and the hope of new life. So may we look to those things today. May we toil in the song of the redeemed faithfully this year. We pray these things in your name. Amen. May us every week we take communion at the conclusion of the message. We invite you this, this morning to come do that. And as we do, to remember that his broken body and his shed blood has bought you access to the table, to the feast of the lamb in the new heavens and the new earth. That you will receive an eternity of gladness and joy because of this broken body and this shed blood if you will only look to it in faith. If you're not a believer, we invite you to stay in your seat and not come take. This is for the children of God who have placed their faith in him. Your invitation today, this last Sunday of 2019, is to take Jesus. Oh, may it be a great way for you to end the year placing your faith in Christ. May we celebrate with you on that today. If you have questions about that, please come find us after the service. Find anyone who takes this. Find me in the lobby. We'd love to talk to you about that. Church, come and take. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.